I'm with you guys, worshiping Jesus Christ. In our continuing, again, unplanned sermon series that we've been in now for a full quarter, our God is God and we should live like it, right? And uh, we've looked at some of the great characters in the Bible, and it's been, at least for me, I trust for you, it's been a great study. Last week we talked about finding and giving ourselves to God's dream for us. Uh, not restricting ourselves to the commonplace dreams that, you know, unbelievers dream. Um, we've, set, we've been set free to actually go with Jesus, to think the thoughts of Jesus, to love the, the, the thoughts of Jesus, to love His words, to do His word, to not, as I said earlier, not merely be religious, but be a disciple. It's really what this series has been about, to be a disciple. There are millions of church members in the world who don't know anything about being a disciple. And beloved, it's one of my goals. When you pass through here, I get some of you for a semester, some for two, maybe for a year, maybe for two years, that you understand when you leave here. Church attendance is not the sum and substance of Christianity. Yes, church attendance is important. You should be here with the people of God. God has commanded us to, to gather together. But we're supposed to be disciples. And I think this is where this series is driving me, at least, if not you, to take more seriously being a disciple of Jesus Christ. As we talked about last week, to learn to love and pursue the God-sized dreams that God has dreamed for us. As I said last week, if you can just roll out of bed and do your life without praying down the power of God, I suspect you're not much of a disciple. You know, unbelievers roll out of bed in the morning and they just do life in their own power. Disciples who are walking with Jesus Christ and going where Jesus has called us to go and doing what Jesus has called us to do, you, you can't do that in your own power, right? We all know that as Christians. You can't do it. You can't walk with Jesus in your own power. You can't do it. And I just want to uh, quote Larry Crabb again from last week. Uh, this will set the stage for our transition from last week into this week. Crab writes, God will lovingly shatter our lesser dreams in order to give us Himself. I love that sentence. He continues, Our shattered dreams are never random. They are always a chapter in a larger story. Shattered dreams are not accidents of fate. They are ordained opportunities for the Spirit first to awaken and then to satisfy our highest dream. And what is your highest dream, Christian? Tell me. What is your highest dream? It's to know Jesus Christ intimately and honor Him in your life. Every sphere of your life. Work life, at the university, in your, obviously in your family, in your church, in your neighborhood. To make much of Jesus, right? To bring great glory and honor to our awesome Creator and Redeemer, God. Some years ago, uh, American author Bruce Wilkerson wrote a book entitled The Dream Giver. I don't think it got much of a read. I happened to see it. The title 
enchanted me, so I purchased it and, and I, I read it. The dream giver, of course, is God who is animating His people to put down commonplace dreams. You know, the things we talked about last week, the, the dreams that every unbeliever has. Well, I want a nice career and I want to make some money and I want a nice family and I want some nice kids and I want a nice house and I want some nice vacations. I want a nice, well-funded retirement. You know, all the things that the world dreams about. And God's calling us to bigger things. There's nothing inherently wrong with those things, but God's called us to bigger things. Amen? And uh, this was the point of the book, The Dream Giver, and he starts the book with a parable. Now, I'm just going to read to you for a minute, so you're going to have to bear with me, okay? I just want to read the parable he begins with. It's the story about a nobody from ordinary... No, is that right? It was a nobody named ordinary... And he's from the land of familiar. Okay? So here's the parable. Not long ago and not far away, a nobody named Ordinary lived in the land of familiar. Every day was pretty much the same for Ordinary. For the most part, not much happened in familiar that hadn't happened before. Ordinary thought he was content. He found the routine reliable. He liked blending in with the crowd. Until one day, Ordinary noticed a small, nagging feeling that something big was missing from his life. Or maybe, rather, it was a feeling that he was missing from something big. He wasn't quite sure. The nagging feeling grew, and even though nobody's in familiar didn't generally expect the unexpected, Ordinary began to wish for it. Ordinary shared his feelings with best friend, Best friend was very concerned and said, You know, as well as I do, that nobodies who pursue big dreams always leave familiar for a journey that is anything but sensible and safe. Then best friend said, Why leave familiar? It is so comfortable here. I don't know if that parable resonates with you. It does with me. Um, because we all have this tendency to stay in the familiar, right? Don't we have this tendency to, to, to run with the herd, to be a lemming, to, to simply just run with the herd, to do what the herd is doing? And as we've been seeing in our sermon series, that those who really believe God and really give themselves away to God, they're not like that, right? They're not tied to comfort and security. In fact, they do some very uncomfortable things. We've talked about Caleb and Joshua and Gideon and Esther and Moses. Don't you love the line? Ordinary began to feel that something big was missing from his life or was it that he was missing from something big? I love that. I love that line. And as we talked about last week, if we have really given ourselves to Jesus Christ, something uh, big is in our life. He is in our life. He is in our life. Jesus Christ says two of the most beautiful words that any man, woman, boy, or girl will ever hear. He says, follow me. I mean, if you stop and think about who it is that's saying this to us, Jesus says, Jesus says, follow 
me. It's an amazing thing. He invites ordinary nobodies from the land of familiar, you and me, in other words, to walk with the living God. And to turn the world upside down in our orbit, whatever our orbit looks like, one life at a time as we share the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've ever thought deeply about this invitation for more than 120 seconds, it would take your breath away for two very different reasons. One, I think, first would be the fear factor. It's supernatural to go with God. Our fallen flesh shrinks back from going with God. It's much easier, as I said earlier, to just conform with the world. Do do what everybody else does. Live within the confines of the little box the world says you should live in, right? So there is this fear factor. It's easier to blend in with the crowd. It's simpler to to keep your life safe and and manageable. It's, It's a lot less risky than to go with Jesus. You know, I think I shared with you last week that great line from the Chronicles of Narnia. Susan found out that Aslan was a lion. And she says, is he quite safe? (laughs) What did Mr. Beaver say? Of course he's not safe. He's a lion! Every disciple that went with Jesus was martyred. Except one, John. It's not safe! You know, modern Christianity has been domesticated. You know? It's like, well, I go to church. That's the sum and substance of it. Wrong, beloved. Wrong. Wrong. As I said to you last week, and I think I've said for the last several weeks, the risky obedience is the most thrilling God will meet you there. God meets you in that new place of obedience. God meets you there. It's a breathtaking thing. And that's the second point I want to make. Because of the exhilaration factor. It's you and Jesus, right? And you and Jesus are always in the majority. You say, Jim, there are great odds against me, either in my work or at the university or in my social uh, circle. There are odds against me, but you and Jesus are... A majority. Jesus will do mighty things through you, beloved. This is part of what the, the, the uh, sermon series has been about. That you would believe it. That Jesus will use you mightily. In fact, He saved you to use you mightily. <laughs> you know, we could just worship better in heaven. It'd be far, as, as Paul says in the text, it'd be very much better to just go. He's left you here to be His disciple and to make much of Him. It's a breathtaking thought that this awesome God has invited an ordinary nobody like me to go with Him. To me, breathtaking is the right word. If you think about it more than 120 seconds and you are serious about giving yourself to Jesus Christ in in an unqualified way, it will make your heart beat fast to... Some of you have heard me share this before, but it's, it's very personal with me, and I love this, this story. Some of you may know this movie, the Jesus of Nazareth by Franco Zeffirelli. It's quite old. It's like six hours long. So it's a huge investment, right, uh, to watch the thing. But Jesus comes, he's, he's beginning to gather his disciples, and he, he spends the night in Peter's 
hometown, and Peter meets Jesus, hears Jesus teach, and he's quite impressed with uh, Jesus. And the next day, Peter takes uh, all the disciples across the Sea of Galilee to, to let them off across the, uh, on the other side there. And all the disciples are piling out, right? Including Matthew. Matthew jumps off the boat. He turns and he looks and meets the eyes of Peter. Peter's standing there. Peter's not yet made a commitment to Jesus, right? So, their eyes meet. Peter turns and he walks. He goes with Jesus. All the disciples have gone with Jesus. And Peter's standing there on his boat, right? And he's looking at Jesus. And he looks at his boat. And then he, he looks at Jesus. And then he looks at his boat. I think every true believer has stood in that place. Am I going to stay here where it's comfortable and familiar and safe and secure? Or am I going to go with Him? You guys know how to end? Well, of course you know Peter becomes a disciple. But Peter finally, he jumps off his boat. He looks back to presumably his son. He says, take her back to Capernaum. Right? And Peter's off, man. Peter's off with Jesus. Obviously, there are 101 good reasons not to go with Jesus. Not to jump off that boat there's a lot of you know, sound reasons, logical reasons, rational reasons, but at the end of the day, there's one, you sh- there's one reason why you should go with Him. He's your Creator. And He is your only hope for salvation. That trumps every other reason, <laughs> beloved. Who He is trumps all of my excuses for playing it safe all my excuses for hedging. All my excuses for rationalizing. Who He is trumps all of that. And we talked about last week, Paul. Paul had the, What was Paul's dream? He was going to be the perfect Jew. He was the perfect Jew, right? Uh, he was a big man at the temple. No doubt he'd had his picture on the cover of Pharisee illustrated. And, uh, but on the, on the road to Damascus... Jesus invades his life and his life is turned upside down. And yeah, no going back for Paul. There's no going back. He writes Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And we talked about it, this, you know, these first 26 verses of Philippians, it's, it's, it's somewhat autobiographical for Paul, for Paul. You know, he's in prison I told you last week that the, the epistle of, of Philippians is sometimes called the epistle of joy. He's in prison. And you can't have his joy. He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. He's being slandered in the church at large um, by some. And his head might get chopped off any minute. He's in prison. And as we talked about last week, he's in prison and he's doing God's business. He he writes four books of the Bible in prison in Rome and he converts some of the guys that are chained to him, right? As he shares the gospel. He's doing spiritual business. This is what true Christians do. True Christians don't simply go to church. True Christians do spiritual business. It's like we talked about this, the, the parable of the minas last week. And I won't reread the text. You heard the text read. I want to pick up here, though, at verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1. And if you study, if you know anything about Greek, you realize that, that the emphasis of the thought is always at the beginning of the sentence. And if you notice here in verse 27, 
we see the word only. The word only. If you look at some other English translations, it's, it's a translation. You'll see the translation, translation like this. The only thing that matters. Right there at the, the, the very beginning of the verse. There's only one thing that matters. And what, what does Paul say? What does the Holy Spirit say? You can see it right there for yourself. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ. That's what matters. That God's people conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ. What does it mean? Obviously, it means a ton of things. It means more than I can say in one sermon. But my mind immediately went to 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. You'll recognize the verse. The one who says he abides in Christ ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. You know, 1 John is the book of assurance. If you're not sure if you're a Christian or not, go read 1 John. You'll find out. If, you, if your life looks like, I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm saying if, you, if your life looks like 1 John to some degree, if your heartbeat is 1 John, then you'll have some sense of assurance that you are indeed a disciple of Jesus. So how does Jesus walk? Again, there's a lot I could say here, but my mind went immediately to John 4. You remember when Jesus encountered the, the, the Samaritan woman at the well and His disciples returned and they wanted Him to eat. But Jesus said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. You remember? And the disciples were puzzled because they knew He hadn't eaten anything. And Jesus said this awesome thing. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Let me ask you, is that your food? Don't you love that? This is a disciple's food. To do the will of the Father. Yeah, in my home, at my work, at the university, at the school, in my neighborhood, in my church. Do the will of my Father. This is is my meat and my bread and my drink. What does it mean to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel? It means to do the will of God. Some of you remember some years ago, people were wearing these little bracelets with WWJD on it. Does anybody remember what that meant? What would Jesus do? In short, that's what we're talking about here. What would Jesus do? You know, is that a serious proposition for you? Is that a serious question for you? What would Jesus do? And I know I come back to this text a lot, James chapter 1, verse 22. In short, Jesus would do the Word of God, and that's what we've been called to do, to be doers of the Word, not men and women who simply hear it, who simply talk about it, and as James says, who are deluded. Again, I... I think I'm in good company as I, when I say with many, many other theologians and pastors that many people sitting in Christian churches, yeah, it's, it's morphed into something that is almost biblically unrecognizable. They call themselves Christians. They use Christian words. But they go out in the world and they, they live just like the world. They live just like the world. Beloved, do you understand that this is a great offense to God? 
that you would call yourself His child. And then you would love the things of the world more than Him? Do you understand? Do you understand that this is a great offense to this great God? So, we are doers. We are doers of the Word. You know, I've said it to you many, many times. <laughs> uh, Eugene Peterson, the guy that wrote the, the Message Bible, I love how he says it in James 2.17, God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. Are you a God talker? It's outrageous nonsense to be a God... You know, just stop talking. If, if, if it's not real with you, if you don't really mean it, if you don't really love Him, if you've not really given yourself away to Him, then just stop talking about it. Because your life is betraying your words. Unbelievers are watching your life. They're listening to your words and they're going, What? You call yourself a Christian? They can read the Bible too. They know what you say you believe. They know how you're supposed to live. <laughs> Paul says, Paul says, Live worthy of the Gospel. None of us do it perfectly. I'm the first to I'll own it. I'll confess it to you. I'm far from living the Gospel in a worthy manner. In the way that I should, I confess my sin before God and before you. But i got to tell you, man, I, it's the motivation of my heart to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? And to be a disciple that brings honor to His name. The Greek word here translated conduct in verse 27. It connotes this. It connotes, uh, it gives the connotation in the Greek of citizenship. I love it. The Holy Spirit is calling us to be good citizens. To live out our heavenly citizenship right now, today, before your family, before your friends, before your colleagues. We talk about it a lot, Hebrews 11. The men and women of Hebrews 11, they were, they were looking at heaven. We've talked about this during the, this series. They confessed that they were strangers and exiles. They desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. And as I said earlier, this is how Paul is living. To live is Christ. To die is Cain. If I live, it's for Jesus. If I die, I'm with Jesus. This is the confession of every true disciple. Paul is really simply teaching us here what it looks like to be, to be a disciple. And you remember what God says about those men and women in Hebrews 11 that, that gave themselves away to Him and He said, I am not ashamed to be their God. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? He says, I, I am not ashamed to be their God. There's nothing else like that in all of the Scriptures. So what I want to ask you, beloved, are you living by faith? Because we know that God tells us explicitly that's what pleases Him. That you're obeying Him by faith. You know, we've been talking a lot about it in this series. You know, it won't be on your resume what God calls you to do. It either won't be on your resume or it will threaten your existing resume. It's going to be bigger than who you think you are and what you think you can do. It's the God-sized dreams that God has dreamed for His people. 
I'm not talking about, you know, we're not like the world. We don't have these little bitty small dreams, right? We're not living in this box. We're outside the box with Jesus Christ. It's what we've seen in Caleb's life, Joshua, Gideon, Moses, Esther. Ordinary nobodies who believed their God was God and they lived like their God was God. I love that about the Bible. A lot of these men are flawed and the Bible shows us their flaws, many of them, these men and women. But ultimately, they were irrepressible. They would not give up on going with God. They just kept going with God, right? Through their sin, through their failings, they just kept going with God. Do you notice in verse 27, the Holy Spirit says, Real believers stand firm in one spirit. When I saw that, I, my mind immediately went to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you guys know the story. But these guys, these guys uh, stood in perfect solidarity and unity, and they refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And they said, hey man, we're not bowing to your idol. Whether God saves us or not, we know He can, but He may choose not to. He's a sovereign God. He does all He pleases. We don't name it and claim it. You know, We're not going to name and claim deliverance. He may give it, but that's His sovereign prerogative. Whether He saves us or not, we will not bow to your idol. The three of them, and you know the story, they got cast into the furnace. God did awesome things in the court of Nebuchadnezzar from that. I'll let you read the rest of the story. The Greek word translating standing here in verse 27 in, in Philippians 1 literally means to, I love this, to stand at post. We've been talking about this. You're here in Milan to stand at post. You're not here for a paycheck. Right? You're not here uh, simply to go to school. You're here to do business. God brought you here to do business. His business in Milan. Right? In this church. Right? You're, you're, you've completely misunderstood if you think you're here on your errand. This is God's errand. You are here to stand at post with the International Church of Milan and their Italian-speaking sister church, Veritas. We stand at post right here and we proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ in this dark place with this false religious system dominating we stand here and we say, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Keep your religion. Of course, if you read your New Testament, you understand. <laughs> it's blasphemous to add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so, you're here to stand at post with me and with Karen. You're here to stand at post with us. As we minister to the English-speaking community and as we help uh, Veritas to, to reach out and minister to the Italian-speaking community, we are in a war. How many of you know you're in a war? Uh, do you know you're in a war? You're supposed to know you're in a war. A spiritual war. Let me just read uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our war... Warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. 
I love, again, I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases that. He says, We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies and tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God. I love that. So first, the Holy Spirit says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel by standing firm together, holding fast to the truth of the Word of God. Secondly, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Jesus Christ by striving together with one mind. I immediately thought of, we talked about this guy three or four, five, six weeks ago. I immediately thought about Gideon and his 300 men outnumbered 451, right? <laughs> they, just, they just went and stood before the horde and God routed the enemy. They had one mind about it. With one mind, they believed and they trusted and they obeyed their God. Thirdly, God says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Jesus Christ by not being alarmed, frightened, or intimidated by your adversaries. In other words, to be fearless. I call you to this a lot. Of course, in this series that we've been going through, are you fearless out there? <laughs> hey, listen, I know we all get weak. But we know our resource, right? Our resource is God Himself. He is an infinite resource. If you feel weak, go be with Him. Go spend some time with Him. Draw down, pray down the power of God. But when I, when I thought about this fearlessness, I couldn't help but think of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. You may remember the account, Second Chronicles chapter 20. And the Moabites and the Ammonites were coming against this horde, this, this giant horde was coming against the Jews. They were hopelessly outnumbered. And uh, Jehoshaphat cried out to God. He says, we are powerless before this multitude. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Don't you love it? The Lord says, do not fear. This is my fight. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. You remember? He said, just go out and face the enemy. So they went out and faced the enemy and they put Orazio and Chinelo and Krista out front. Right? The choir was out front. Right? The choir was out front. And they were just singing praises to God. <laughs> right? And then God annihilated the Amorites and the Moabites. You remember how the story ends? <laughs> It took the Jews three days to pick up all the spoil. Okay? Be fearless! Your God is God! We're not called to be timid in the world. Our God is God. You remember uh, how did, what it, it says there in 2 Chronicles. It says, The Lord made them to rejoice over their enemies. Be fearless, beloved. We will rejoice over our enemies ultimately. We will do that. Romans 8.31 is always true. If God is for us, someone tell me. Who can be against us? Verse 28, the Holy Spirit says, uh, Your fearlessness is in essence a sign to the whole world that you belong to God. It's a sign of your salvation. You're bold in the world. People go, that guy's a Christian, man. I can tell. I, tell, I can tell. The way he talks. And the way he acts. The things he does. The things he won't do. I, He's a Christian, I can tell. The Holy Spirit also says that our lived out faith and trust in God it reveals the destruction of the unbelievers. 
it reveals the dichotomies, verse 28 there, between the saved and the unsaved. So in summary, verses 27 and 28, the Holy Spirit says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel. We stand firm in one spirit. We strive together with one mind. And we fearlessly live out the Gospel. Finally, verse 29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His namesake. We've talked about this many times. Sometimes God chooses to deliver His people and sometimes He allows His people to go through the suffering for His namesake. Just go read Hebrews 11. you got the guy delivered by the sword and you got the guy that perished by the sword. It was both done in faith. We leave the outcome to God and His sovereign prerogative. You know, I was thinking about it as I read verse 29. Verse 29 I thought, man, the prosperity guys will never preach this one. You'll never see a prosperity preacher preach uh, verse 29 of Philippians 1. The name it and claim it bunch are not going to preach this text. Don't you love what the Spirit of God says here? I looked at every mainline English translation. The words used here are it is a privilege to suffer. It is a gift. It has been granted. It has been given. It is a privilege. You know, it made me think of Peter and John uh, after they were flogged over in Acts chapter 5. They rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Beloved, if you're a real Christian, it's not a matter of if you will suffer. It's a matter of when you will suffer. We know what the Holy Spirit tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, the Apostle says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All will be persecuted. It's part of being a Christian. It's what happens if you're a disciple. I'm not talking about being a church member. I'm talking about being a disciple. I'm talking about being a lover of Jesus. You know, we, we saw it in, 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 was it first or second Peter? I think it was first Peter. The persecution will come. It will come. If you stand, it will come. It will come. The world doesn't want to hear about Jesus Christ. Now, you know, they don't mind hearing that he was a great teacher or he was a good moral influence or he was a philosopher or he was this or he was that. But tell the world he's God. Tell the world He's the only way. And you'll feel the heat. We all feel the heat when we say what God says. You know, the heat will come. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes God puts His miraculous power on display in delivering His people from the trial. At other times, God puts His captivating beauty and sufficiency on display as He sustains His people through the trial. Real faith doesn't demand deliverance from God in the trial. Real faith is utterly satisfied with God whether He delivers us or not. That's an important lesson for every one of us in this this room to hear and understand. Real faith doesn't say if God loved me, He would get me out of this. Real faith says I treasure God so much, it doesn't matter if He gets me out of this or not. I'm, yeah, talking about discipleship. (laughs) And 
Some of you may or may not be quite uncomfortable about now. But you know what? Um, you know what? I was converted in church. <laughs> and uh, I, I'd, I'd been in church all my life. I was baptized when I was eight. But I was now 28. And it didn't really mean very much to me. It was a cultural thing. And I heard the Word of God being read and bam, God converted me. And I saw how I had been merely tipping my hat to God in a religious way as compared to loving God. These are, this is a universe, this is a cosmos apart, beloved. Tipping your hat to God as opposed to loving God. I'm going to close real quick. Uh, I was reading, as I often do, <laughs> I was reading Piper the other day. John Piper, a great preacher in the States, and uh, he says, man, he was talking about the stories and the ballads and the tales that will be told in the new heaven and the new earth. And he says, God's great work of redemption and the exploits of His people in that work will be the great stories and ballads and tales that are told in the new heaven and in the new earth. Don't you love it? Ordinary nobodies who turn their backs on the safe, the small, the commonplace, and they embraced the dreams of God for their lives. Ordinary nobodies who turn their backs on the easy, the comfortable, the conventional, the familiar. And they gave their lives to Jesus Christ without qualification. Ordinary nobodies who fell in love with Jesus, right? And would settle for nothing less than radically walking and obeying Him. Ordinary nobodies who were willing to do hard and selfless and sacrificial things for the glory of the Son. Ordinary nobodies who loved Philippians 1.20. We've been saying this for the last several weeks. You know, when you read Philippians 1.21, I know some people shrink back from it. It makes them very uncomfortable. The disciple gets it. He may tremble a little bit. <laughs> you know, if you're going to go with Jesus, you're going to tremble. Sometimes you're going to tremble. It's just, it's just part of the deal. You know, that's huge. To live as Christ, that's huge. That's big. It's not on my resume. I don't know how to do it. I can't do it. It's not within me to do it. God says, I know I'll do it through you. Right? So it's bigger. It's bigger than what we can do. But we love it. Don't you love the sound of it? Doesn't it have an allure for you to live as Christ? It's not my career. It's not merely my marriage. It's not merely my family. Those things, are, those things fall in perfect order, order under the Lordship and divinity of Christ, under our discipleship, right? But we go with God. It's what real Christianity looks like. It's how ordinary nobodies who fall in love with Jesus live. Philippians 1.21 To live is Christ. To die is eternal and infinite and breathtaking gain. Beloved, I hope you'll think about this text. If I've made you a little uncomfortable, then I've done my job. 
My job is always to take you from where you are to the next place, if I can, by the power of God through His Word. You know, that's what happens to me as I sit behind my desk. God takes me from where I was last week to where I need to be this week, right? You don't stay the same. If you're really in the Word of God, you don't stay the same. You never stay the same. God's always changing you. So I hope that you've been challenged and I hope you receive it from from the Spirit of God. The challenge to, to go out that door and be a disciple. To live for Jesus like you never have before. And if you don't know Christ, you come talk to me. If you don't know what it means to, to, to be in a love relationship with the living God, you come talk to me. And we'll, we'll open up the Bible and we'll work on that. We'll look at that together and we'll pray together about it. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. As always, thank You for this great text. Thank You for this great challenge. Father, I love that You don't let us just sit down in our spiritual recliner and get lazy and fat. You're always moving and You call us to follow You, Lord. I pray that we would be serious about it. I pray that we would go with You because I know You will fill us up with life and joy. I know when we compromise, we lose. I know when we are distracted with the things of the world, we lose. Lord, help us be Your people. We confess our sin. We confess our weakness. We confess how easily distracted we are. Help us, Father. Holy Spirit, come. Come and do Your mighty work in us. Come and change us. Come and make us over. Come and turn us into disciples, Lord, we pray. For we know we have a few moments on this planet as compared to eternity. So Lord, help us be wise stewards. Help us redeem the time. Help us be Your people for the glory of Jesus and for the conversion of the lost. We pray all this in His mighty name. Amen. Let's just sing a chorus. Just, you, got, you got something simple we can... from what we sang earlier? Yeah. Let's stand and sing together. <laughs>